from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. Dr. Dare Odomosu joins us. He is the CEO of Zalira Therapeutics, which is a global therapeutic uh, medicinal cannabis company. The company is focused on developing branded cannabis products for treatment for a variety of medical conditions, including autism, insomnia, and opioid reduction. Dr. Odomusu has 10 years of pharmaceutical ex- expertise, including at Iroko Pharmaceuticals, where he was part of the development team that produced a number of drugs that were passed by the FDA approval. Welcome, Dr. Odomusu, to the show. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about why you got into cannabis, because that is not where you started. And like many of us, you sort of found yourself in this field. So how did, how did you get into cannabis? For me, it almost seems as if cannabis found me. Mm. Very different from uh, the experience that uh, a lot of my comrades have with cannabis. Uh, like a lot of people, I was one of those people who was raised to believe that cannabis, you know, dull your mind and uh, marijuana use would destroy you as a young person. So I never quite even found, had the interest to, you know, even experiment with cannabis uh, as most of, a lot of youth do. Mm. So I ended up being one of those people who came to the realization that cannabis was useful for health as an adult. I was uh, just under the age of 27, I was uh, just about to defend my thesis, my PhD thesis. I have a PhD in molecular medicine, biochemistry specifically, I, uh, and I have a master's in epidemiology and biostatistics. And somewhere along the line, I, I came to understand that I was suffering from insomnia. Mm. And I went to see a doctor, and a doctor gave me the, the usual, right, the ambience of the world, and I went down. But thank God for an older friend of mine as a, a, a brother, and uh, he said to me, look, you can go down this route or you can try cannabis. And as you know, you would expect my response was get behind me, Satan. Like, you know, really, I'm, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. And I lived in California at this time, by the way. I went to Loma Linda University mm. um, of Medicine, uh, the basic sciences program. I was then a student at the uh, Center for Health Disparities and Molecular um, Genetics. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And he really said, I was only half kidding. You should try cannabis. Hmm. And I finally succumbed because it was about three or four days, about day three, day four, when I hadn't slept. And I knew that I was, I I said the words, I'm going to die today if I don't sleep. And I went through the process, got um, got to see a doctor, got my medicine, and I slept. And it seemed to me that I'd only slept for about five minutes. But I had slept for about nine, somewhere between nine and 10 hours. Wow. I woke up that next day. And as a scientist, I said to myself and I said to my friend, I said, wow, so much for what I had learned and what my body had just gone through. Somebody needs to help me unlearn what I just learned about cannabis. But also um, I have really um, dug into helping people understand. Because at the end of the day, Jonathan, uh, cannabis is a natural compound. And... As a natural compound, as a natural compound, cannabis has the longest documented history of with safety and efficacy. 
As far as I'm concerned, cannabis is not any different from a willow bark, from so many other natural compounds. Mind you, people have heard me say this. More than 80% of the drugs or the medicines we have on the marketplace today, on the marketplace today, are derived or were derived from natural compounds. So from where I sit, and as far as I see cannabis, cannabis is a natural compound with the longest documented history of safety and efficacy. So with that mindset, and, and if I may add, at one point, the chairman of our, of our group and uh, members of his team back in the day, at one point, had in, under their belts one of the world's largest natural libraries of compounds for which they divested in. And those compounds are still under development for making medicine till today. So when you really think about it, that is the basis for which Zalira uh, formulates medicines that harnesses the strengths of cannabinoids that are inherent, that are naturally made in the cannabis for making medicines that target different systems or modulate different systems in the body for therapeutic responses. So that's, that's really the heart of what I do as a scientist and as, and as the CEO of Zalira Therapeutics. So you are very active in researching the, the, the medicinal benefits of cannabis. Talk to me about some of the challenges that companies like yours have in, in getting research. It's different than other industries because of the restrictions and the regulations and because of the Schedule One status of cannabis, right, to do proper testing. So tell me some of the challenges you're, you're facing and, and what you're doing to sort of overcome those challenges as far as researching. That's a really good question, uh, Jonathan. Thinking about, you know, the challenges around uh, researching cannabis, I like to preface this answer with, you know, in countries like Australia and in Germany, medicinal cannabinoid-based medicines is completely legal. And in Germany, it's reimbursable. In Australia, depending on, on uh, if it is registered, it is. Because Zalira is a global company and uh, we are based out of Australia and the United States with footprints in Germany, the UK and other parts of the world, we are able to conduct clinical trials in Australia, for example, that are, you know, uh, the traditional path under the hospices of the TGA, mm. uh, the Therapeutics uh, Goods uh, Administration, which is a first world like the FDA regulatory agency. And in, in Australia, we're able to do the double-blinded, placebo-controlled uh, crossover designs, such as you see in the Zenival product, which actually, interestingly, is launching uh, in Australia this month. As well, and, and that's very exciting because with that product, we're able to clinically validate for safety and efficacy in a traditional phase one, phase two type uh, study of patients the, um, the, the, and, and show um, clinical and statistical significance for the effectiveness of our uh, product, which is now uh, branded and called Zenival for treating chronic insomnia. Yeah, I was going to say, so what is, the, what is the research that you're actually able to do? What, what have you been learning? Um, we, you know, it, it's very interesting for that particular product. Uh, mind you, I should say, by the way, we've gone on to re, uh, release results for our opioid sparing or dose escalation studies, where we've also shown uh, our formulation of our medicine to be safe and efficacious, um, even when escalated in dose for patients with chronic pain. Uh, we've also gone on to initiate uh, a, a research uh, uh, project 
with, with the retired athletes population. In fact, I should send you a link. This hit national TV in Australia, where we'll be doing the research project looking at um, retired athletes who, in the AFL, so equivalent of the NFL, but the AFL, and looking at uh, uh, they're studying their chronic pain patients. What have we learned? We have learned, one, that cannabis, what we already know, that cannabis is truly, truly safe as a therapeutic um, medicine. Like I've said, for us, cannabis is a natural medicine. It just It's a natural compound with tremendous benefits for indications such as insomnia. And, and, and where I send people, when people say there's no research, I go, really? Have you picked up a copy of the 2017 report of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine in the United States? It's a 480-some-odd page document. And I'm just going to fast forward to some of the findings. And some of the findings, they looked at thousands of meta-analysis studies and abstracts and concluded that cannabis, based on the body of research available, was effective for a list of conditions, conclusively was effective for a list of conditions based on limited data and uh, yet-to-be-determined box. So if you ask me, we're not starting from scratch. Cannabis, again, holds is one of the world's, one of the world's uh, longest documented history of efficacy and safety. So we're confirming that again in our studies. But also we are finding very unique formulations, as you would in any drug development path, unique formulations are effective for addressing very specific conditions. And we're starting to probe those conditions. In the United States, where we are not allowed to do the traditional FDA-approved um, type studies, Jonathan, what we're doing in the United States is we are we are, uh, we're conducting a series of observational, real-life evidential reports where patients are self-reporting based on approved use of medical cannabis in states like Pennsylvania, where patients can uh, are approved to obtain a, a, a card that is state-approved for indications that is state-approved and go to state-approved dispensaries and, and uh, after seeing physicians who recommend cannabis for approved conditions. And you pick a condition like autism, for example, where we work with um, um, uh, uh, local-based advocacy, and they're not local anymore, they're actually global, such as Hope Grows for Autism. Shout out to... Um, um, Erica Daniels, who has really worked with a bunch of parents and families to really champion the cause for destigmatizing, for educating, and for sponsoring and furthering research of cannabis for autism spectrum disorder. We're finding that there is an improvement in quality of life for the patient as well as for the family of the patients, Jonathan. We have families, uh, and we did this, we captured this in, in an observational report where families, uh, both patients, are reporting significant reduction in the severity of symptoms associated with autism spectrum disorder when they use some of the formulations that we've created, uh, for example, HOPE 1 and 2. So taken together as a whole, we are learning a great deal as to how to, one, um, further improve the formulations to target clusters of symptoms, 
understand the impact of these medicines within the affected communities. It's a very simple model. It's co-creation, customization, and choice. And the learnings allow us to then go back and either improve on these medicines or create new ones. So there are so many ways in which we are continuing to approach this subject, certainly within the legal and the regulatory allowances. So in your previous life, you did a lot of work with the FDA, right, in getting certain drugs approved. And we know that the FDA isn't the only cannabis-related drug that they've approved at this point is Epidiolex, I believe it's called. And what is your prediction? Do you think that they will, and again, we're talking, that's a CBD product, so we're not talking about uh, marijuana here or medical marijuana, but what is your prediction in, in having worked with the FDA? Do you think that can you foresee a future where you'll be working in tandem with the FDA? <laughs> <laughs> no, anything is and everything is possible. Right. Um, Jonathan, what we, we find ourselves in America in a little bit of a, of a regulatory quandary and, and the states, you know, 33 states, including the district of Columbia as of today and November is coming where there are five more states on the ballot So very comfortably, it's safe to say that we're going to be looking at close to 40 or more states um, in going into 2021, where there will be some form of medical approval or a combination of medical and responsible adult use of cannabis. In my opinion, uh, the states have created sort of mini FDAs. And as long as this federal and state dichotomy continues to exist, states will continue to regulate cannabis in this state. Again, the federal uh, prohibition, we understand very well, let's call it what it is, is more political and is than, any, than it is. I mean, yeah. it, it blows my mind every single day why cannabis would be higher scheduled than some of the other drugs without naming any particular one. And, right. you know, it, we can go in, we can talk about Seems that. Seems crazy, yeah. To, to, mm-hmm. it, it is crazy to say the list. Mm-hmm. Do I see that resolving? There's a bill in front of the house uh, coming up that is gaining a lot of momentum. Um, there's promise that this federal prohibition would go away. But whether or not it does, Jonathan, uh, the way I see this is there are patients at the heart of this and playing politics with the, with the lives of patients is just a no-no. The, against, against the reference, against the current therapeutic products that are on the market, some of which are marginally effective, marginally efficacious, and with a side effect profile that includes death, I mean, need I make a, any further arguments for why we should act in the best interest of patients? Mm-hmm. I, so um, I look forward to, uh, to you know, a time if, if a time ever came where there's a resolution of that federal-state dichotomy, Sure, we are certainly comfortable in that space as well. And should we continue to work within state regulations as well? We're very comfortable as well. So you had mentioned, you know, you're doing research on insomnia and autism and opioid reduction in Australia. There's also some preclinical research that you're doing, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is t- explain, first of all, explain for us neophytes what, what preclinical research even means and then what you're finding out as far as the effect of cannabinoids on, on breast, brain, and pancreatic cancer. Part of our job as uh, positioning ourselves as global leaders 
in the research of cannabinoids or cannabinoid-based medicines is that not only are we uh, meeting patient needs, uh, unmet needs today, but we're also looking into the brain basket of areas that for which we have identified that cannabinoids can really pose a viable uh, treatment option. And some of those include pancreatic cancer, brain um, cancer, uh, diabetic models. And preclinicals are really just looking at um, the early stage studies in non-human models okay. for which we can glean understanding whether it's in vitro or in vivo in some animal models, suddenly in very, very rigorous academic settings. And we are coming into some very, very interesting um, results about the capacity, without giving away the juice and some of the studies, the capacity for cannabinoids to modulate very, very interesting physiologic responses in some of this of disease models. It is mind-blowing um, uh, in reference, some of the things we're finding that we hope will lend itself very, very strongly to drug development uh, that are cannabinoid-based. I mean, some of the results are cutting edge to the point where we we are making decisions about fathering them where we can and continue to expand. Are you, are you allowed I mean, to share what yeah. some of the results are, or is it too early? Jonathan, you know, I this, you know, we we, we just became good friends, and I <laughs> I, I expect that our friendship will, will last for a much longer time. <laughs> All I'm going to say to you is, watch this space. There's okay. a lot. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Well, that's good to to look forward to. I mean, you yeah. you've become sort of a convert here, right? So you, you, you know, like as we said in the beginning of this interview, you start off skeptical about cannabis. What's your yes. background? How did you, tell me a little bit about where you came from and where, <sighs> how you fostered these beliefs and, and then how, what made the change happen for you and why you now so firmly be, have gone to the other side of believing in the, the medical benefits of cannabis. I am not only a convert, I am, uh, I'm, and I'm not just an advocate from a point of a human interaction in impact. I am also a trained biochemist. I have mm. a PhD in chemistry, focused on molecular medicine. I did my PhD at um, Loma Linda University at the Center for Molecular Medicine and, and Genetics. I also hold a, a, a master's in public health epidemiology and bio. Statistics, and uh, I, you know, I like a lot of people. I'm, a, I, I kind of bought the the tra traditions of of um, traditional learning by being very inquisitive, and you know, the idea of developing medicines that just go from the bench to the clinic just for me was one old, but also uh, not in, not as impactful as as I believe it should be. So I started to sort of reason uh, alternate models around from the bench through the clinic to the people. I mean, how do you take the social and structural determinants of health and disease in a population and tailor healthcare and medicine to impact that population where you have the most impact? I mean, it, it seems rather common sense, but again, a different uh, <laughs> a different session. Maybe we need another yeah. hour to but uh, I am a convert, by, by to use your words, because I was raised like a lot of people to believe that cannabis is going to numb your brain, cannabis is going to destroy you. So like most kids, I never tried it. I never used it. I used cannabis for the first time as a 26-year-old. Uh, right. 
where I was suffering from uh, sleeplessness and went on to be given the ambience of the world and all the other drugs. And thank God for a dear friend of mine in the state of California where I went to school at the time and cannabis was already legal, who said to me, you could go down all of this and your next step is going to be depression and then put you in antidepressants and they're going to give you this and give you that. Or you could try cannabis. And I told him to get behind me. He's the devil. I'm three weeks from defending my thesis and this is bad and blah, 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 on and on till I reached a point that I had not slept for coming on 72 or even more hours. And I remember saying the words, I think I'm going to die today if I don't sleep hmm. at my wit's end. And he convinced me to come with him to go see a doctor. I got my card, took me to a dispensary and I, and I purchased cannabis for the first time legally in the state of California and went home and I said, God, please don't let my mother find out I'm going to hell in a handbasket yeah. and I'm going to get the hottest seat next to the devil. And I used my medicine and I fell asleep not too long after that. How did it make you feel? Did it, did the first time scare you a little bit? How did you imbibe it? Did you do it through um, vaping? I smoked it. Yeah. I smoked it. Matt, uh, my friend helped me, Max. He helped me uh, consume my medicine for the first time. And I remember doing it very fearfully, but suddenly I had reached my wit's end, like I said, mm. and I was going to do anything. If you told me this stone was going to help me sleep tonight, I would eat it. Yeah, like that. it was desperate, yeah. And I fell asleep for what felt like five minutes. It really felt like five minutes. I, 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 but when I woke up, it was about nine hours. Mm. It was restful. And, yeah. Oh, my God. It was at that point I said, somebody, please come and help me unlearn what I just learned. Right. Because otherwise, otherwise, I've been lied to. Because I took Ambien, I took some other drugs, and my body was reset, my energy was back, my brain, and as a biochemist, I knew exactly what had just happened. Mm -hmm. And I just started to really question. I said, there's a lot that we don't know then. What did happen to you? I'm always curious. I mean, not to get too sciencey here, but wh Look, why why is cannabis I mean, so good for sleeping? I mean, I could my I could really really when I woke up, it felt that I had I, I'd gone through a full rest. My body, my my, both anatomically and physiologically, I was properly energized. It felt like waking up on a rainy. Saturday morning at about 11.30 in the morning. Yeah. You know, after you slept through that beautiful rain and you wake up and you're like, man, I could go for a run. I went from going, I feel like dying to, man, I could go for a run type. Yeah. So what happened? Was, Explain to us as a scientist what happens. What is, what is cannabis doing that is helping us sleep so well? With, with particular respect to sleep, the capacity to sort of, depress the metabolic centers of the brain mm -hmm. and reduce the activity to induce restful sleep okay. uh, is modulated by the uh, endocannabinoid system. There are so many systems at play, but also to inform the guards of the body, the immune systems, all of that, not to be hypersensitive because you think about it. Sometimes you go through very rough sleep and it, because the gut is hyperactive at night, the immune system is flaring up. So you wake up, you can't really sleep. You're, you're stuck between sleep cycles. You wake up, your immune system, you, your, your body is in a state of flare 
and you have these allergic responses and your immunoglobulins are going haywire. But for the endocannabinoid system to say, hey, you do this, you come down, you go up, he's sleeping, so cortisol, come down. You know, by the time he's about to wake up, okay, endorphins, we need you to come up. There's a fresh release of dopamine. I mean, there's so many systems at play that are just in perfect harmony. And that is what homeostasis is, which is the balance of the body. And to learn later that there's this system called endocannabinoid system that I had never heard about until yeah. I was in my late 20s. Interesting. Now learn that this is one of the modulating systems implicated in regulating how our body works effectively. Absolutely blew my mind. Yeah. And I decided, what else don't I know? And I'm not going back. So that's a quick summary of where. Well, it's fascinating. And you're such a good person to be an advocate because of your vast knowledge in biochemistry and, and the fact that you're doing it in the right way where it's you know, science first. As an entrepreneur, a black entrepreneur in this space, you are a minority for sure. And what, are, what, do you, what do you think we can do in the cannabis industry to open it up more to people of color and make it more appealing to people? You know, I, you had written an article for Green Entrepreneur about, you know, one of the reasons there are not more black entrepreneurs is because of the stigma uh, around cannabis. That was a feeling that you felt. So I'm yeah. wondering, is that part of the solution is to get rid of the stigma and have spokespeople like you who also had the stigma going in and... Yeah. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, that's a really good question, Jonathan. I, I believe in if you know better, do better. Yeah. If you know better, do better. And there's, there, there are people where we can lock arms and form a, um, allies in educating and going deeper into the communities where we have trust and helping people within our communities understand what we've come to understand. The minority communities of black, brown uh, uh, has been, you know, just disproportionately affected negatively by the um, war on drugs, mm -hmm. by the, the, the prohibition. And it is very difficult to speak to a mother whose own siblings are in jail for, you know, nonviolent drug leader crimes, who has sons to go say to, you want her to encourage her son to participate in the cannabis space. Right. Our communities have been devastated. So yes, locking arms with people who can help build trust as well as legislatively. Legislatively, very specifically, there are some aspects of the legislation. I keep picking on my state, Pennsylvania, and saying, where were our legislators in agreeing to a part of the legislation that says, if you have a, a marijuana-related charge, you're not allowed to work in the cannabis space. How fair is that? Mm -hmm. How yeah, fair right. is that? Right. So, so let me give you just, if I don't know if I have a little bit of time, sure. but let me give you a perfect analogy. I'm going to pick the name John and Jamal, uh, just mm -hmm. because, just to drive it home. John grows up in one part of New York and goes, you know, that is mostly, you know, um, 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 non uh, black or non-Hispanic, and gets a, 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 a non-violent marijuana charge. Mm -hmm. In some cases, the arresting officer drives him home and says, "Hey, John, you need to be a good kid now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to see your dad at the, you know, at the, at the clubhouse." But Jamal goes to jail. Jamal is arrested. Jamal goes to jail. Jamal cannot access student loans. 
Jamal's life changes. And then Jamal serves time. Jamal comes out. Mind you, Jamal has never committed. It's a non-violent. He got caught with a joint. Mm. Jill comes out. His life changes. John goes on to be, you know, to get a, a job on Wall Street. And yet he can, in my opinion, participate in the cannabis space. Oh, by the way, John could, I'm not saying John does, but John could have a series of other criminal charges that are not related to marijuana, right? He, he could potentially, but he can still participate in the space. I mean, somebody out of Kentucky wrote an article, I encourage you to find it, and talking about some of the hemp people in the hemp space and how they have other drug-related charges in their background, and yet they are participating in the space. But yet people who have nonviolent crimes, who look like me, I can't hire them. Mm-hmm. When, when I was uh, working at Ilera Healthcare as the chief operating officer, I could not hire people who look like me because, oh yeah, sometime in their past they had. So yeah. I'm really working, we're working on, I know there's a lot of people who are working harder. Minorities uh, for cannabis, Ross McCarthy's group, Eric Grange, and uh, those types of groups that are working with, with people to, to help uh, clear, clean up their records and, and do a lot of uh, social justice and reform so that we can have more people. But I'm asking our legislators to please, please, you passed an amendment or amendments across several states that made cannabis, cannabis went from illegal to essential. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me we cannot pass amendments that removes that restrictions on the law that, I mean, come on, right. please, please, we could do better. We can do better. Well, let's end on that. And thank you so much, Dr. Odomusa, for your uh, insights and your knowledge and wisdom here. And I'm looking forward to hearing the results of some of these studies. You're being very, you're keeping it close to the chest at this point, but what hopefully it'll, it'll, well, as soon as you know, we'll know. <laughs> absolutely. All absolutely. Right. We do that. Thank you so much for All having right. me and for your time today. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode. We'll THC you later.